Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to worship with all of you this weekend, and I don't want to uh, go past what, what Friday was. Friday was uh, Veterans Day, and certainly want to say a thank you to all of our veterans and their families who have served or are currently serving our country. We thank you for the sacrifices that you and your family have made. So thank you, thank you, thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. Well, welcome to a new series called Do You Hear What I Hear? And I, I want to begin this series by hopefully remedying a mistake that I made with the last series. And here's what I mean by that. Last series, uh, the video that showed right before all the sermons, I heard nothing but positives where everybody said, I love that video. But for many of you, I also heard, I love that video. I just don't know what it means. And um, so that's why uh, Frank Armstrong, our video director, and I filmed a video that we put out on social media, and I put it in a PS in the pastor's desk that I sent out on Friday if you want to go and watch that. So just to be clear, I'm going to explain this video so that you understand it the rest of the series. So what you saw there is called a Cladney plate. And that Cladney plate, the reason why it's called a Cladney plate is because it is named after Ernst Cladney, who was a German musician and physicist. And he made this discovery that I'm going to explain back in 1787. And that Cladney plate is a sheet of metal, a central stock, and a sturdy base. And the idea is that you force sound waves, these invisible sound waves, onto that hard surface so that you can visualize what happens with those particular vibrations. Because as you know, sound waves, they have shapes to them. And that's what that Cladney plate helps us visualize. And so what you saw in the video was Richard Schaefer, who's incredibly a talented musician that we have, who oftentimes plays drums around here, but obviously does a lot of other things for us. Um, but he is playing different notes that's forcing that sound onto that plate. And what is happening to that plate as those different sound waves, now I'm not a physicist or a scientist, so those who are, forgive me if these are layman's terms here, but as it's forcing that sound, it causes that plate to bend and bow in very microscopic ways. And when it bends and bows, what the sand is doing is it's settling into the valleys essentially, where, where it's dipping down. And so those different sound waves with those different notes are causing those different shapes based on the particular sound waves. And those shapes are now called Cladney figures. Those symmetrical shapes, they're named after him because uh, he discovered them. Now, he gets credit for discovering it, but he obviously did not create it. And it's amazing to me in, in God's divine providence how something that beautiful is something that is invisible. The, these invisible sound waves cause this hard plate to bend in almost practically invisible ways until we see that sand put on there and then we see what shapes uh, come out, how God makes something so, so beautiful out of things that we can't yet see. And what we're going to be doing in this new series is studying this last part of the gospel of Matthew, and what I hope happens for us as a church is what happens to that plate. And here's what I mean by that. 
that when we begin to hear what God is saying through his word and we allow him to form us and shape us, that we begin to take his shape and display his beauty. That, that's what we want to, to happen. Now, some of you, you're going, hold on, Cody, I know another example of what happens when these resonant frequencies uh, are sustained and because I've seen a wine glass. You've seen that. When the wine glass has this resonant frequency that is sustained and it just shatters. And you go, I don't want that to happen to me. Well, God doesn't want that to happen to you either. And see, that, that wine glass will not change its shape. That's why it shatters. But the plate does take a different shape. And that's why it does not shatter. Instead, it displays God's beauty. And that's what I hope happens with each one of us, including myself, as we study this, uh, this last part of Matthew, that we take his shape to display his beauty as we get in tune with what God is doing. And you're going to see that as we, show, we start off today with an example of a woman who is in tune with God's voice. She's in tune with what is going on in Jesus' life and therefore displays his glory and does something that is what Jesus calls as beautiful. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13 is where we're going to be today. And as we begin this uh, new series, uh, I just want to clarify because the question asked is, do you hear what I hear? And yes, that's a Christmas carol as we get ready for uh, the Christmas season too. But that question, do you hear what I hear, um, is going to come as Jesus poses it to us from the text. And so when, when that question's asked, I want you to hear Jesus asking you, do you hear what I hear? But oftentimes through these sermons, these next uh, few weeks, you're going to hear it from the communicator's perspective as well as we begin to ask you questions of, do you hear what I hear? And this example that we get today in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 to, to 13, is a, a great example of, of someone who takes the shape based on what is going on in Jesus' life. And so I want to read this whole text to you as you follow along before we break it down. Okay, so beginning in verse 6 of chapter 26. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial." Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And may God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. Now I want to give you some context as far as where we are location-wise, especially because of where we're coming out of our last series where we studied Jesus' Olivet Discourse, where he talked from the Sermon on the Mount and we talked about where the Mount of Olives is. If you'll remember, the Mount of Olives 
overlooks that, the city of Jerusalem and overlooks the, the Temple Mount. And we showed you a picture of that last time. That's obviously modern-day uh, Jerusalem there. Uh, but the, where we're going to go today is Bethany, and Bethany is just behind you. If you're looking at Jerusalem, looking at that Temple Mount there, Bethany is just on the other side of that mount. Now, it definitely is a mountain compared to Texas, uh, but it's not that big of a mountain. So it's just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And a lot of the people that Jesus affected lived there in Bethany, and you're going to see that today. And so what I want you to see from this text as we ask this question, are we hearing what Jesus is saying? What, are we in tune with him? Is I want to make sure that you hear what he wants you to hear. And I think when we do, it's going to prompt us to give and give some different things, which I will explain, and then I'll give you some application uh, so that we all have hearts that hear what Jesus wants to do in our lives today. So let's begin in verse 6, where I want you to see that Jesus associates with people who were once far from him. What Jesus wants you to hear is that he associates with people who were once far from him. If you look back at verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany, which I just showed you where Bethany was, he was in the house of Simon the leper. Now that should go ahead and put alarm bells going off in your brain because if you know about leprosy, what you know is lepers could not be around normal people in society. Uh, lepr leprosy was highly contagious and there was, and there was no cure for it. And so what they would do is they would literally cast lepers outside the city. That's why they had leper colonies. Only lepers could associate with lepers, could live with lepers. That, that's it. And now we see Jesus and his disciples walking into this house of a leper. Now how is that possible? That, that this leper lives within the city limits of Bethany and Jesus and his disciples are going in. Well, the one solution is that Jesus didn't care about leprosy and he didn't care if any of his disciples got leprosy. I don't think that's the case. I think a better explanation for that is Jesus had actually healed Simon of leprosy early on in his ministry. And now he is able to come back and return into the city and integrate into normal uh, civilization, normal life. I think that is, that is a better explanation. And we oftentimes see throughout the gospel that Jesus is in the houses of those whose lives he's changed. He, he's, you see this when, when he goes to these different people's houses, and that's why he's here. He's in the house of this person who was once an outcast from society, who has now been healed and touched by Jesus, and now Jesus and, and him and the rest of their fellowship, they can now commune together in ways they haven't been able before. One of the things that when we think about that, I know that that's a small detail, but I don't think that's one that we need to overlook because I think there's a, a very relevant application for us, and it's this. When you understand that Jesus wants to associate with people who are once far from him, then hopefully it will prompt you to give up your past to enjoy his fellowship. 
You see, giving doesn't just mean what you probably thought I meant. That when we see Jesus, we are called to give all these things. What, the first thing that I want you to give is give up is your past. Because Simon's past didn't define who he was. It didn't define what he could do today. He could still have this significant fellowship with Jesus. And when I say enjoy his fellowship, Jesus' fellowship, I'm not only talking about his fellowship personally, but I'm talking about the fellowship that he creates as a community. Remember, Simon was cast away from everyone. So he doesn't just only get to enjoy fellowship with Jesus. He gets to enjoy fellowship with all of his followers too. And the same is true for us, that we don't have to get stuck in our past and say, Jesus, you would never come close to me because you don't know what I've done. And you consider yourself unworthy. You consider yourself untouchable. You think that you are incurable for whatever has gone on in days gone by. And that's just not true. That's a, that's a lie. Jesus wants to associate with you. Jesus wants to have fellowship with you. But will you give up your past? See, some of us, we get stuck in our past. One, because we get stuck in our own head. And we say that what, whoever we used to be, that is our identity. And the good thing about coming to know Jesus is that the old has gone and the new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. Uh, but the, the other positive thing about that is, and another reason why we get stuck in there in, in the past, is sometimes because of who we hang around. And they remind us of, hey, do you remember, you, do you remember that story? And you remember this? And you used to be this. You're all going to, uh, most of you are going to experience this uh, specifically around Thanksgiving time as you go back with your families. And they're going, when, you, when you get together with family members or friends from the past, they always remind you of who you used to be. Do you notice that? You know, you, you, know, you sit down to, to Thanksgiving dinner and you're like, this is going to be great. It's been drama-free thus far. Lord, please help it to stay that way. And that's your Thanksgiving prayer. And then you, you, know, you grab for a roll and somebody goes, Cody, do you remember last Thanksgiving when you ate like 12 rolls? And you're like, why do I need to be reminded of that? I mean, you know? And, and then, then you go, here's the beginning, uh, you know? And, and it, just, it just spirals down from there. And they're like, you know, and you're like, no, I didn't remember eating 12 rolls last Thanksgiving. And they're like, well, you were always bad at math. Because remember when you were in like high school and you got a zero on that math test and you're like, can we stop? Like, I, I just, can we just be present? Just, just, just be here. See, sometimes, and certainly gather with your families for Thanksgiving. I'm not saying don't do that. But we got to be careful that we don't define or identify people by their past. Because God has a future. God has a future for each one of us. And we can't get stuck in our past. And we can't stick others in the past either. And you say, hold on, Cody. His name, he is identified by his past. Simon the leper. Matthew doesn't define him as just Simon and doesn't bring up his past at all. You're right. But... His past does not define him, but his past 
highlights God's grace. Because it doesn't make any sense. When you say, Simon the leper, and he's in his house, you go, how is that possible that you are here right now? Let me tell you what Jesus has done. And some of you might get that opportunity even this Thanksgiving or coming up in these holidays that people go, how are you where you are here now because of whatever happened in your past? And you get to say, let me tell you what Jesus has done. Don't miss that opportunity. It's a great opportunity not to define you or identify you by your past, but to highlight how far Jesus has brought you and how far you've come. Use that opportunity. So give up your past to enjoy his fellowship. Second thing that I I think Jesus wants you to hear from this passage is Jesus affirms people who waste everything on him. Jesus affirms people who waste everything on him. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is the custom of that day when people would come into a home. When a guest would enter one of those homes, customarily two things happened to that guest. The first, there would have been an anointing with some sort of oil. It would have been symbolic, but it would have also been uh, fragrant. It would have been a small little fragrance so that, fragrance so that you would enjoy this, this blessing that someone has, has given you. It's like, it's like when, uh, it's kind of opposite in our culture, but when you take flowers over to somebody that you're going to have dinner with or something like that, it's a fragrance, it's a, it's a symbol. That's what this symbol of oil would have been as it was placed on your body, maybe your head or something like that. Second thing that would have happened would have been your feet would have been washed uh, because remember, they're in sandals, like Birkenstocks, not Birkenstocks, but like sandals, you know, and they're dusty, and so they would have washed their feet because they would have been reclining. They were close to one another's feet, so the feet would have been washed. So I want you to understand that that is the context uh, going on customarily when we get to verse 7. So when Jesus goes into Bethany to the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Tables were really low in, in, that, in that culture, and so they reclined on one arm and put their feet away from the food as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, saw her giving him that uh, ointment, that oil, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. So I want you to, now that you understand the context of what, what would have happened in kind of, kind of the scene, that that oil would have been placed on, on Jesus just as a guest in that home, this woman comes up with even more oil. And it says it was an alabaster flask. Now, we don't know exactly what that kind of looked like. Here are some examples of what alabaster flasks look like. It would have held about 11 and a half ounces of oil or this, this ointment that, that's being described here. And so you think of a, a soda can as 12 ounces. So think that's the amount of, of oil that, that she brings. So she brings this alabaster flask, and that would have been sealed. 
uh, somehow with, with wax or something like that. Once that seal is broken, you, the, the freshness begins to leave. I mean, it's just like anything that we have that, that is sealed. Uh, that, that seal was broken as she brings it to Jesus. Now, this was very expensive ointment. Uh, the, the one that is described here, it says it would have come from the Himalayan mountains. This, this is in India. So I, and now I didn't give you a map of, that's a long way away from where they are in, in Bethany. And this would have cost about 300 uh, denarii, a, a very, very expensive, about a year's wage. Probably, many commentators think that she had this because this alabaster uh, oil was her dowry. It was her nest egg. It was her security. It was, it was it, if she got in a bind, in a pinch, this is what she had to go back to. This was her savings account, her 401k. This is everything that she had. And she comes up to Jesus, who already had oil placed on him. And she gives even more oil and places all of this oil, breaks the seal. And as soon as she breaks the seal, she goes broke, essentially. This, 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 she, she goes all out, go big or go home. And she pours it all on Jesus. And the disciples, it said, they were indignant. And I, I love that word. I think that communicates great, the, the emotion that they felt. They're angry. They are, they are upset. They are obstinate. They are stubborn. They are staying in place. They will not be moved. They will not be shaped in order to display God's glory in that time. They are indignant. And the reason why they are indignant is because they say this was a waste. Now, one of the reasons why it's a waste is because, remember, he had already had oil anointed on him. This has already been done. You don't need to do it again, which tells you about our worship, where you go, I already did that. I already checked the box. Why do I have to do that again? Why do I have to go another Sunday? Sometimes worship of Jesus is impractical because he's that great. But they say they're indignant because they say it's a waste because this has already been done. But they also say this could have all been given to the poor. This could have been sold. And think about how many people that we could have fed. And Jesus says, why do you bother her? It's this, it's this intimate moment between this woman who just went, I mean, she gave, this, this is her life. She gives up everything she's got in this very moment to give it to Jesus. And you have these disciples tapping their foot, ruining a great moment. Jesus says, stop it. What she has done is beautiful to me. See, when you understand that what Jesus has done, when he affirms people who waste everything on him, it should prompt us to all give out of gratitude to give God your best. Get out, give out of gratitude to give God your best. Again, when we think about giving, and especially giving as unto the Lord or giving to God, oftentimes we think about uh, an amount or, or giving enough. And, and we want to give enough rather than 
give out of gratitude. And I want to tell you who I think this woman is, because she's unnamed here, but we know from different, different gospels who this is. And I, I think it's Mary, who was sisters with Martha, who were sisters with Lazarus. And Lazarus, remember, was from Bethany. They're, they're all from there. And if you look at this in context, if you trace another, if you trace the same event that's recorded in John, in John chapter 11 is when Jesus does what with Lazarus? Do you remember this? He raises him from the dead. Mary and Martha call for Jesus because Lazarus, their brother, had died. That's what happened, and he raises him from the dead. Wonderful thing. I wish we had time to go into it. But that's John chapter 11. This event, the same event, is recorded in John chapter 12. So when I talk about giving out of gratitude to give your best, I want you to now think about it as to who this woman is. This is Mary whose brother had just been raised from the dead by Jesus. And you go, is there a price you can put on that? I mean, honestly. We've, we've all had loved ones pass away and go to the Lord. And how many of you have said, if I could just have one more moment, I'd give anything. Just to have one more dinner. One more this, one more, one more conversation. And thank God we'll see them one day with the Lord. But she got that. She, she got that. And now she goes, what, what do I have to hold back? I mean, you deserve everything. Everything and everything I give to you. And that's why she goes broke for Jesus. And it looks like a waste and it's not wasted on him. And you say, Cody, Jesus hasn't done anything like that for me. Hold on. Didn't he bring you from death to life through a relationship with him? To take you from eternal death, eternal separation, eternal punishment because of your sin to bring you into eternal life? He has, the, what, what he did for her with Lazarus, he's done for you personally. Do not underestimate the miracle of eternal life. Don't underestimate what Jesus has done in you. And when we begin to grasp that, what he's done for us, we say, what do I have to hold on to? Jesus, it, it's all yours. All yours because every day is icing on the cake. Every day is a cherry on top. Every day is a blessing to be able to walk with you, to fellowship with you, and to fellowship with your people. So when we understand that, that what we have to offer, everything belongs to him, we give out of gratitude because everything that he's done for us. And when we give everything, nothing's a waste because we understand what he's done for us. And then finally, the last thing that I want you to see is that Jesus admonishes people to seize the moment for his sake. Jesus admonishes people to seize the moment for his sake. If you look back at verses 11 to 13, Jesus says to uh, the disciples, he said, for you always have, the, when he says stop, leave her alone, what she's doing is a beautiful thing. He says, for you always have the poor with you, but you will not 
always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I already mentioned to you that there's a, a, a corollary account in John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, what we find out is uh, the disciple who asked, who, who was most probably indignant, who wanted that to be spent on the poor was Judas. And Judas was the one who, what, he was, Judas, guys, he, let, let's think about him for just one moment. Judas was probably one of the most trusted disciples, if not the most trusted disciple, because he was the one who was in charge of the money. They, they gave him all the money to be used for ministry. He was the treasurer. You got to trust the treasurer. And what it says in John chapter 12, verse 6, though, Jesus seeing into Judas's heart, it said he said this because he, cared, he did not care about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was, what was being put into the kitty. Didn't say kitty here in scripture, but he was drawing on that. He was reaching in, taking out what he wanted himself. You see, he uses this idea of that's a waste what she's doing. We could have spent that on a poor all because it was a self-serving excuse for Judas. Because that would have gone into my money bag and I could have pilfered. I could have taken what I wanted to use it on myself. See, I just want to be clear. Jesus is not against taking care of the poor. He loves taking care of the poor. He admonishes us. That's where we started out this entire series in, in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, blessed are those. Jesus wants us to take care of uh, the poor. He wants us to be benevolent to those who do not have. But he saw through this. What he is against is an excuse. And this was an excuse for them to get some more money for themselves, to be selfish. And he's against those excuses. But there, she doesn't take any excuses. She doesn't let anything get in her way of going and worshiping Jesus, of giving her all to him. Social barriers she gets over. There, there, there's no cost too high. She gives everything. There, there's no offering. There's no, nothing that she will do that will, is too below her. We even hear that she even let down her hair, wiped his, his feet with her hair, the dirty feet. And nothing too low, no gesture too low for her. There's no excuse. She says, I, I'm all in. See, Jesus is against those excuses. But he's not against those who seize the moment to worship him. He affirms her, which is why he says, she has prepared me for burial, and this will be spoken of wherever the gospel is told. Not that you tell this story with every gospel presentation, but I think that this will be recorded because she actually gets it. She is in tune with what is going on in Jesus' life because what she is doing here is she anoints him, is she is anointing him for burial. If you think about where we have been throughout the Gospels, she is the only one who gets that he's about to die. And he's been telling his disciples this the whole time, remember? He's told them at least three times throughout the Gospel, I'm going to go and die. And they're like, yeah, 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 what, huh? 
And here's this, this woman, who I think is Mary, who's in tune with Jesus. And she goes, I'm going to seize the moment. I don't know, when I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get another opportunity to do this. I'm going to let this opportunity pass me by. I think that's why she's recorded and everywhere where the good news is told, because the good news is about his death, burial, and resurrection. She's preparing him for his death. That's why it says this will be spoken of wherever the gospel is proclaimed. You see, when we know that God uh, is, or Jesus is admonishing people to seize the moment for his sake, that prompts us, when we hear his voice and get in tune with him, it prompts us to give in and get over yourself to be used by God. You see, when I said that this would prompt us to give, I know a lot of your minds and hearts went to money. And that's not what this is about. Yes, your finances are a part of those things, but that's not it. I read read a commentator who said this. I think it's brilliant. The hardest thing to give is in. I think it's true. The hardest thing to give is in. The hardest thing to do is surrender and say, God, whatever you want. All I have is yours. You, You use me. Because Jesus uses her offering, her anointing of him as his burial anointing, preparing him for death. And maybe this fragrance was so pungent that he may have even been smelling that later on when he is being flogged and beaten. And maybe he remembers, I mean, would, wouldn't that be a gracious gift from the Father? That when he's being beaten, that Jesus is going, at least somebody got it. Just one person. At least somebody. I mean, what a gracious gift that could be. If we would give in and give our all to him to be used by Jesus. And some of you, I know you don't like the way that that's phrased. And you go, Cody, I don't want to be used. I, I get it. But let me tell you the way that this is juxtaposed in, in Matthew 26. Because right after this account, we have Judas who goes and betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. See, the way this is, this is set up, the way that Matthew records this, there are two people being used. Mary is being used by Jesus for his burial, to prepare him for burial. Judas Scripture tells us is being used by Satan to betray Jesus. Both are being used, one for God's purposes, one not for God's purposes. We want to be used for God's glory, for God's sake. And the way that we do that is we give in. We give it all. And so here's the application for you. Give Jesus your all, no matter the cost, because nothing is ever wasted on him. Give Jesus your all, no matter the cost, because nothing is wasted on him. You know, as I was studying this and thinking of that juxtaposition of Mary and Judas, if you carry that contrast throughout, Mary gave up 300 denarii to worship Jesus. Judas got 30 pieces of silver, which is about 120 denarii. He got less for Jesus than what she gave to Jesus. And it reminded me of that passage where Jesus says, you can gain the whole world and you'll forfeit your soul. 
or you can give it all for him and you'll find your life in him. See, nothing that you give is ever wasted on him. They thought it was wasted because this could have been given to the poor. And in a worldly sense, you know what? It might seem wasted because she just poured a bunch of oil on a dying man. And it's not wasted at all. Because what was done was used for his sake and is proclaimed to declare his glory wherever the gospel is proclaimed. May we be so in tune with God that he shapes us to display his glory in this way. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word that encourages us that nothing is wasted on you. Lord, forgive me for my practicality when I want to say this doesn't seem practical. It doesn't seem useful. Lord God, would I get over my lack of faith, my unbelief, And remember that everything that is yours, that we give back to you, is never wasted. You're going to use it for your sake. So, Lord God, may we be in tune with you. Mold us. Shape us. May we see the world differently. May we be used by you to display who you are in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.